0: Hello everybody, this is Jonathan Armstrong here from Caudry. With me is Eric Sinrod from the west coast there of the USA. And Eric, I'm feeling the vibes across the Atlantic. I believe you've been thinking about Section 230 immunity under the CDA. Means (laughs) nothing to me in Europe, but tell me what's on your mind. (laughs)
1: <laughs> like Sherlock, Jonathan, you're always able to read my mind. <laughs> yes, this is, this is Eric Finrod from Dwayne Morris. This is your weekly Tech Law 10. I believe we're approaching our 140th. This may be number 139 wow. or, or thereabouts. But what we're talking about is Section 230 of our Communications Decency Act, which generally affords immunity for Internet service providers relating to third-party content Uh, That's content, Jonathan, posted by others on their sites. But this this issue of immunity is coming to to a head in an important case out here, um, as recently reported by our recorder legal newspaper. So let me uh, set the table a little bit, Jonathan. And this case, by the way, has to do with a site called Model Mayhem. Uh, That's my understanding. Um, The procedural posture currently is this. Uh, Facebook, Craigslist, eBay, and others, as what we call Amici, are, um, have been petitioning to the Ninth Circuit to have them reconsider um, a controversial ruling about a website operator's duty to warn about harm, potential harm by third parties. Um, the Ninth Circuit is our sort of overarching federal appellate court in the western United States. I mean, the, the only step above the Ninth Circuit out here is the United States Supreme Court. So this case has already percolated up from a federal trial court decision. And normally uh, in these types of cases, the appellate level, you have a a three-judge panel. And this particular panel, based on the urging of these other uh, interested uh, companies, has set new arguments next month in a case called Doe, that's sort of an anonymous name for the plaintiff, versus internet brands, and the three-judge panel has done this after last fall ruling that the operator of a website for uh, prospective models could be sued for failing to warn that they were being targeted by, of all things, rapists, which is, you know, obviously uh, something of concern. So what's the factual background? Um, There was this model who is referred to as Jane Doe, so she doesn't give up her true identity. And Jane Doe uh, made the allegation that she was lured to southern Florida who, by two men who allegedly drugged her, raped her, and recorded the crime for pornographic video display. So a pretty awful set of facts there. And she alleges that the men learned about her through her membership in the site called Model Mayhem. Jonathan, Mm -hmm. you asked, what is Model Mayhem? Uh, That, uh, that according to the uh, allegations, was a website uh, displaying the profiles of as many as 600,000 aspiring models. So we're dealing Mm -hmm. with a lot of people uh, that are interacting with this website. And the owner of the website... That's, that's, more, than, that's more than Hugh Heckman's living room, even. Uh, just a bit. Just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> that raises the question, when was the last time you were there, Johnson? <laughs> 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 anyway. Uh, I, I interrupted. <laughs> no, that's right. That, that's what you guess for interrupting. Uh, <laughs> I joke. But the, uh, the owner of the website uh, is, is known as Internet Brands, and Internet Brands, according to the allegation, was aware of this scam by these men, but failed to warn of the danger. So that's the crux of the problem. So then, what's the defense? Well, Internet Brands, not surprisingly, denies all of the allegations. Um, but what gets folks concerned, when I say folks, I mean these other companies like Facebook, Craigslist, eBay, and the others. These are what are called the Amici, the, the uh, companies who are not parties to the case, but they're interested so they filed briefs, they're, they're worried that this could have a chilling effect on website operators generally, um, being concerned that they have to somehow uh, monitor everything and figure out when to warn or not warn. And obviously they, they believe that under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, they are shielded, quote, from the risks, burdens, and uncertainties of lawsuits that would hold them liable for hosting or facilitating online exchanges of third-party information that may result in harm, close quote. And that's a quote uh, obtained from one of the Amici briefs. Um, mm. So uh, based on this, uh, the, uh, the panel is going to reconsider. And this is somewhat unusual, Jonathan, because normally you have a three-judge panel at the Ninth Circuit Ultimately, they render their appellate decision, and that's it. And at that point, there are essentially two options. One is to try to get what's called an en banc uh, consideration of what the appellate panel did. And if it's a matter of tremendous importance, you then can get an 11-judge panel at the Ninth Circuit to consider what the 3-judge panel did. Or, it's, But that's extremely unusual, and it's almost always denied uh, because... Mm-hmm you know, a three-judge panel is considered sufficient and they just don't want to be revisiting their rulings all the time. So if you don't like what the three-judge panel did, then normally your next recourse is the United States Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court only handles a handful of cases a year. So usually you're pretty much done with your three-judge panel decision of the Ninth Circuit. But here, Mm -hmm. uh, obviously this three-judge panel, uh, based on the briefing from these other interested companies has decided on its own to reconsider what it did. Without even going to the 11-judge panel, without going to the uh, Supreme Court, the three-judge panel is going to hear new arguments on March 18th. Um, So that's coming up not too uh, far in the future from here. And what's interesting is the first opinion uh, held that Jane Doe, quote, does not seek to hold Internet brands liable as a publisher or speaker of content someone posted on Model Mayhem on the Model Mayhem website or for Internet brands' failure to remove content posted on the website, close quote. Therefore, under, that, under those circumstances, the ruling was that the Communications Decency Act would not bar allegations of failure to warn under California law. So the original panel decision was essentially sidestepping CDA immunity and basically grounding this on failure to warn under uh, California law. And uh, Jane Doe's lawyer argued that the case was unique because internet brands had sued the previous owner of Model Mayhem for failing to disclose the criminal scheme, establishing its knowledge of the specific danger. Therefore, there was nothing in the panel's opinion to indicate that it's holding could be applied to create a general duty to warn, stretching beyond the particular facts of this case. So the, the Jane Doe lawyers are careful to try to make this sort of a, a one-off case. In this particular mm. circumstance, there should be a duty to warn. Um, but it's all bubbling to a head now, and uh, you know, the, the ISPs generally are very um, protective of their immunity under the CDA Section 230, because they just don't want to get in the business of having to monitor the content of others, and there's a concern here that this failure to warn argument could somehow start to peel back the layers of the onion of their immunity. So hopefully that wasn't too thick, but I wanted to set oh. the stage, and now that you've been educated a little bit on Section 230, uh, what are your thoughts there across the pond and, and you know, about this case, about Section 230, and perhaps what you might have going on uh, in the U.K., like circumstances
0: yeah no, it's a, it, it is a fascinating case and I can see why it definitely merits uh, a, a good look on our podcast and, and, and a look again by the judges I mean I think in general terms we have similar rules here that if you are uh, a website host and uh, and you're not on notice then you have uh, what you might call qualified immunity I think where it gets different is when you are on notice, and I guess that, uh, I I mean, I'm imagining that that's going to be one of the key elements of of this case as well, to decide how much the website host knew, and and my suspicion is that here, if they knew about something bad happening and didn't act, then they could potentially over here face consequence, and could even, I think, in extreme cases, lead them to criminal liability as well, particularly in cases like this. If they were you know, acting um, in some way to um, provide a forum for these uh, bad guys to do bad things, then you could imagine that that could bring liability. That's certainly the case with things like uh, offensive or racist words, or if you know, if, if if they were, for example, hosting terror-related material, you could see that that would be a, a potential issue as well. You know, for example, we've got very old cases in France over the hosting of auctions for Nazi memorabilia, where mm-hmm. the uh, business uh, facilitating the the hosting once it was on notice, was introduced to take them down. And we've got cases like the uh, criminal prosecution against Google in Italy, which are similar when there was uh, offensive content which the Italian court said Google or YouTube had notice of and didn't take down. So I guess here, it would most likely depend on notice. And, and maybe that notice doesn't have to be specific. Maybe it can be general to say, you know, if there was a substantial pattern of this happening, and it was always South Florida, and it was always on a Wednesday or whatever, then clearly, even without knowing that it's going to happen to, in your case, Jane Doe, then you would think that the platform uh, would be under a duty if it has that information to um, uh, to report it to users, unless, of course. Uh, and And obviously, what you 'd want them to do in that circumstance is talk to law enforcement first, and it might be that law enforcement would then want to set something of a honey trap rather than uh, for them to tell people on masse but I think these are always challenging challenging uh decisions to make for internet hosts i mean to be honest with you i've i've helped not in this same fact pattern but we 've helped with very uh, with somewhat similar cases when I've been acting for the internet company involved, and they've suspected that something's been going on. Um, I've had one not not uh, uh, too long ago where we uh, did go to law enforcement and produce some statistics because we thought it was in the public good to do that. Um, but even then, that can be a difficult choice, and it can be hard sometimes to get law enforcement to see the patterns that you are seeing. Sometimes they choose not to. But it's a very it, it, it is absolutely a, a fascinating case and, and one that it would be good to um, to look at. Maybe next week as a corollary because I guess we're sort of running thin on time now. We might look at some of the moves towards class actions in Europe. It would be interesting to get your thoughts on that as well because my suspicion is that um, if Uh, the Internet publishing house lose here. It does smack of a potential class action, perhaps on both sides of the Atlantic. But perhaps we leave it there and we return to that element almost in part two next week. What do you think, Eric?
1: I think that's right. And I I would finish by saying on this particular case, to me, and I'm not a betting man, but the fact that this Ninth Circuit Three Justice panel Wants to reconsider what it did. I think mm. we might get a different different result from its original ruling, and and perhaps there might not have been a duty to warn. But we will see. Um, uh, and, and they I think could lastly, remit
0: it back? Could they remit it back to the original court for them to look at evidence around knowledge? Could they?
1: I suppose that's possible. I mean, if they find it's a factual question. If there's a factual mm-hmm. issue involved, it would go back to the federal trial court. It's a legal issue. They have to decide it. So, yeah, so we'll see. Interesting. And, and then lastly, we would be remiss if we didn't point out our sadness over the fact yeah. that our colleague uh, Mark Fisher from our Boston office uh, recently passed away. Uh, Mark was a, a supremely nice and sweet man and a, a giant in the area of copyright, and we will certainly miss him. Do you have any thoughts, Jonathan, there too?
0: I, I do, and as I said, that on, I think I said on Twitter at the time he was a he was a great lawyer and an even better man and and um and and we feel his loss here as well and um and and our thoughts are with with him and uh or with his family and with Marnie his uh his widow and uh, and and you're absolutely right he was a he he was a, a giant in um in his knowledge of these type of issues and and we will miss him
1: we will. All right. Well, stay tuned for our next Tech Law 10. Thank you for joining us this week. This is Eric Sinrod in the San Francisco office of Dwayne Morris LLP. You can reach me at ejsinrod at com. You can find us on the usual uh, social media outlets. Uh, we can You can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. Um, and, Jonathan, wrap it up.
0: Yeah, thanks for listening. Armstrong at com. Do connect with us in the usual ways, and we'll perhaps connect next week when we might look at that uh, class action issue, Eric. Meantime, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Cheers. Thank you. Bye now.